0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2, and we're back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Um, speak with Mike McMahon, college hockey insider, senior writer for the College Hockey News. So, Mike, it's interesting that in our previous discussion, we did a couple segments on the impending uh, probability of the CHL players becoming eligible to play in the NCAA. And I know both you and I have had discussions after the fact with different stakeholders, whether it be in college hockey or the NHL family advisors or the CHL or the USHL or, you know, other entities that are involved in college hockey. And what I find really interesting is, is the people that say, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm not sure if they've been entirely been paying attention to how this, how the NCAA operates. And let's go back to what happened when, you know, the the ruling of the judge about uh, like unlimited transferability, from from one from one university to another so let's 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 go back and talk about that from your perspective
1: well and that's the thing that i went back to immediately was you know they instituted the one-time transfer waiver a little over a year ago whatever almost two years ago now where players could transfer once without sitting uh that got challenged legally in in the courts by players who said well no wait a minute we want to transfer an unlimited number of times we don't want to just that but we want to be able to transfer whenever we want uh, that we don't want the one-time transfer waiver. We want to be able to transfer whenever we want to. It was upheld. It was you know ruled in favor of the players in uh, the NCAA literally the same day released uh, a memo where they they said that they were, Basically, getting rid of their transfer rules and players could transfer whenever they want.
0: <laughs> it went from a, like it, a, it a 10 a.m. ruling by the judge within the same day. Within, it within, within after hours. after two p, two p.m. East like Eastern Standard Time. NCAA yeah. rules that oh no, now it's unlimited. Like it, it a span have been, of four hours. They weren't even going to like debate it, and they weren't nope. even going to appeal it.
1: And and that's to me, I, I think the NCAA and what people are not not taking into account with this is. The legal vulnerability. And, and I think that's why this whole thing got brought up to begin with. When an NCAA representative went on a conference call with the coaches weeks ago, months ago, whatever it was, uh, and said, we want to get your feedback on potentially making this rule, it was done because the NCAA knows that they are vulnerable from a legal standpoint. It has it has nothing to do with the NCAA. Like An NCAA representative has no idea what the CHL even is, more than likely, up until recently. But started to go through some of these rules and, and found a what they would determine to be a vulnerability legally that if it was ever challenged in the court, they don't think they've got a very good case, which is why they're discussing changing the rule. It's to get out ahead of getting sued about it because they've lost every lawsuit uh, you know, pretty much the, the, pretty much ever. <laughs> uh, so I, that's why this whole thing is coming to the forefront now. Uh, it, it's because of legal issues. It's because of the fact that they know if there was ever a challenge in the court, they probably don't stand a chance in having it upheld.
0: I think in the future, Maybe this transpires, you know, in, in maybe two years from now or three years from now, whenever, you know, it gets the green light and CHL players are eligible to play in the NCAA, we should just call it the Swankler rule. Because I think Austin Swankler's eligibility to go play in Bowling Green set the was the final nail in the coffin of precedent, of legal precedent that the NCAA looked at and said, okay, now we, we have nothing left to stand on in terms of from this standpoint. So we just need to take care of it because if you go to a judge, you're just gonna to point to that. Here's the last nail in the coffin. And I don't know how they're gonna get out of it from that standpoint. So that's one factor. The other one I'm really interested to get your thoughts on, you wrote about it in your College Hockey Insider, read Mike's Substack; it's great, is the National Labor Relations Board for the Boston Regional Office um, ruled in favor of Dartmouth, Dartmouth athletes looking to unionize and now this is spreading beyond the basketball team to potentially not just the other athletes at Dartmouth University but also across the entire Ivy League is for all of them to unionize now if that starts to spread not just in the Ivy League but if it's successful in the Ivy League other university students are going to look at it and go okay we'll just we'll phone up those guys find out exactly what their template is and we'll carbon copy it and it'll just jump from one, you know, conference to another like wildfire. Is this the next, yeah. you know, precedent, you know, to really put the nail in the coffin of CHL players just being given carte blanche of eligibility into NCAA?
1: I think it's related. Yeah. Because ultimately what they're, what they were looking for is you classified as employees, employees right. of the, of And that's of the why university.
0: CHL players weren't allowed to play NCAA because they were deemed employees and not yeah student athletes
1: and there was yeah the compensation component and you know so i think it's related for sure you know this could have big effects and beyond just from a chl standpoint i have concerns about what it's going to do to the, the the schools that may just decide to drop programs both hockey programs and beyond because they may not be willing to professionalize their their model if that makes sense right and to treat athletes as employees and i i think it it could have a big domino effect, but from just relating it to from the CHL standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it is one more thing that could connect the dots. And again, if you're ever challenged, if this were ever challenged in the court by a CHL player or a group of CHL players who could then, you know, you know, look at the same thing and say, Hey, these guys are now, these NCAA athletes are now considered literally employees of their school. How are we ineligible? Uh, It would just break down another barrier. You know, I think, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. It's happened before that this has been challenged. I think it was 2020, 2020 or 2021, uh, Northwestern football athletes tried to do the exact same thing. It was upheld by a regional office of the National Labor Relations Board, uh, and then it was uh, struck down by the, the head office. The National Labor Relations Board. So uh, we'll we'll see where this goes. A lot has changed in the last two years in terms of the NCAA model and how whether or not well, these, these players are still considered amateurs or not. So uh, there's a process, but I mean it's moving along too. Those Dartmouth basketball players are are going to vote. Uh, I think it's March fifth on whether or not they want to join uh, a specific union. I, I I forget exactly which union it was, but there was there was a union that already re- represents some of the employees on their campus uh, that they're having an election on whether or not they're going to join that union on March 5th. So it's right around the corner.
0: Well, you know, what makes it interesting in that respect is how much do you think name, image likeness, that court case, and that ruling for the players, how much did that open the Pandora's box for all these other things to, have greater level of legitimacy. It was
1: uh, that's what opened the entire can of worms. Yeah, because uh, now you've got nil money and you've got Alston money, which uh, is almost like a revenue sharing type thing. It's that was really the 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 big thing that kind of opened all this. Because now, you know, I, I, you got to look at it from a legal standpoint and say, okay, if you're If you're a CHL player, you know, that maybe, yeah, maybe you're getting a small stipend or maybe you're getting this or maybe you're playing with a contract in NHL player, but you're not contracted to to a National Hockey League team. You know, and you're making, you know, in stipends, you're pulling in whatever you're pulling in, $1,500 a year. That guy's not eligible to play college hockey, but the guy on a football team who has a $1 million NIL deal from a shoe company or something like that, he is. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense, and that's where I, I think a lot of this leads back to is that original ru- ruling where you went from NCAA players not being able to be compensated at all, like they couldn't even do autograph signings, where where they advertised their own name behind it. They couldn't, you know, a hockey player couldn't hold a summer camp where he attached his name to it. He didn't own his own name. Uh, once that w- was was blown up, and they could start actually. Uh, receiving compensation for their name, image, and likeness, and potentially—I mean, the president of the NCAA is even going as far as saying they may create a new tier of Division One where they just flat out pay the players a salary. I mean, he, he talked about that a month ago. Uh, you know, as a potential look into the future of what Division One athletics will look like, it all stems from the compensation piece. And and I think now it's hard, and it's going to be. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but I've talked to some that are. Uh, who feel like it's legally going to be very difficult for the NCAA to go into a courtroom and uh, hold up the fact that they are deeming CHL players ineligible because of certain compensation pieces when NCAA athletes are now being compensated, Uh, maybe in a different way, but they're still being compensated.
0: One of the other factors I always found really interesting, it was a conversation I had every time the world juniors comes around and I'm at the world juniors and end up talking to, to people from USA hockey and I said, okay, let me get this straight. I want I want sure, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. So, the CHL players are ineligible because they're getting a, receiving a stipend, or they're playing with pro pro players that have signed a pro contract, or you know against players that are signed a pro contract. And I said, you know, because you can have a CHL team with nobody drafted. It's possible right? nobody yeah. signed. But then you're playing against them, so that also makes you ineligible. All right, so why aren't every one of these players on Team USA ineligible now? Well, shouldn't they all lose their scholarships? Oh, but that's different. It is in what way? Oh, because we're playing international. That doesn't – why is that different in the eyes of the law? You're either playing against pro players or you're not playing against pro players. Which one is it? I mean, they've kept the
1: World Championships. (coughs) Kurt Gautier played against NHL players last year at the World Championships. Didn't lose his scholarship. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's very hard. I think it, and again, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an attorney here, but speaking to, to people who have studied this and who are attorneys and or are, are sports, especially in sports law, uh, nobody that I've talked to seems to think that the NCAA would be able to win a court case or to win a lawsuit if they were ever challenged, uh, which is really what this boils down to, I think. And even if it's not changed immediately because the coaches don't want it or whatever,
0: Which Um, generally don't have, like, they don't have a full control of, like, rubber stamping this. They just get their opinion.
1: Yeah, and and I I think that that's where my thing would be, okay, even if it doesn't happen maybe immediately because there's not unanimous support for it, all it takes is one lawsuit. Yeah. That's all all it's going to take, and uh, I I feel like that will eventually happen at some point, probably in the near future.
0: And they'll want to avoid it. So we're going to take a short break in Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com hpr to learn more.